The greatest accomplishments in our life come on the other side of our logic. So what does it mean to be illogical? To be illogical is to believe it is so, even when it's not so, so that it can be so. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth Podcast with Patrice Washington. This is the space that you come to each and every week to learn more about what it means to truly chase purpose, not money. And I'm so excited about our guest today, Emmanuel Acho. You guys are going to love, love, love this interview. You may know him already from uncomfortable conversations with a black man. He's here to talk about his latest book, Illogical, and oh my gosh, you are in for a treat. But before we jump in, I wanna remind you what separates this community from all the other podcasts out there. Even though I have been known as a financial expert for over a decade in media, here's what I truly believe. I believe that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. In this community, we subscribe to the original 12th century definition of wealth, which says it's all about the condition of well-being. That's what it really is. And so on this podcast, the Redefining Wealth podcast, I really teach from what I call the six pillars of wealth. These are all of the other parts of our lives that impact our finances, whether we know it or not. You can get caught up by going to patricewashington.com forward slash start here, patricewashington.com forward slash start here. Get caught up, learn more about the pillars. I want you to have an awareness of what they are so that you can improve your finances one step at a time without you even having to harp on it much. Now, before we jump into this amazing interview, let's get to the affirmation of the week. You know, you gotta speak positivity into your life, into your day. You gotta affirm positivity. You gotta affirm abundance. You gotta affirm yourself to wealth. This week's affirmation is I will go the way God leads. Purpose may require me to be illogical. As long as I'm committed to honoring my spirit authentically, I don't need the validation of external forces even those that genuinely desire to protect me. I make time to be still and learn how to discern my fears versus the fears of others. I honor those feelings, yet I choose to create a plan to figure it out and honor what I believe God has shown or told me. I know that no matter what, all things will work together for my good if I continue to trust. Declare with me today, I will go the way God leads. Today's guest is Emmanuel Acho. He's a former NFL linebacker, number one New York Times bestselling author, and the host and producer of the book and Emmy award-winning Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. His groundbreaking online series intended to drive meaningful dialogue around racial insensitivity and ignorance launched in June 2020. With more than 90 million views to date, it's led him to becoming a 2021 sports Emmy winner, Fox Sports analyst, 
and a television personality. Uh, he's here to talk about his new book, Illogical. Um, and I can tell right now that he's a whole mess. So we're going to just get <laughs> right into it. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Emmanuel. In all honesty, I thought I was here to debate what actually constituted Dallas. Did Richardson constitute <laughs> Dallas proper? But sure, I can talk about illogical or uncomfortable conversations or all the things. And I thought we were going to talk about calling Hollywood Hills L.A. because people from L.A., like deep L.A., we don't really consider Hollywood Hills L.A. But what do you consider it? Listen, we're going to stick to the books because that's what you're here to talk about. <laughs> we're not going to debate geography. We're just going to accept, you know, we're just going to accept. OK, um, really excited to talk to you about this new book. But um, from what I understand, you were already writing illogical when the whole social uprise went down in 2020. And it kind of shifted what you were working on in that moment. Can you talk about what led to uncomfortable conversations with a black man? Yes. So uncomfortable conversations with a black man is for which I'm most well known. Um, it started as a video series. I, I just sit down in an all white room and um, I talk to the camera. I answer four questions. Why can black people say the N word, but white people can't? Why are black people rioting? Well, Emmanuel, what about black on black crime? And what in the world is white privilege? Um, I answer those questions after the murder of George Floyd because I realized there was such a disconnect between my white brothers and sisters, Patrice, and my black brothers and sisters. Black people were saying one thing and white people were like, huh? White people were saying one thing and black people were like, say what? And I wanted to try to act as a bridge between that disconnect and that divide. I went to a predominantly white private school growing up, all boys school in Dallas, Texas, um, not to be confused with Richardson, um, an all boys school in Dallas, Texas, and we wore uniforms. So I was in, in, in the school with the richest of rich white people, but I went to church in the hood. And so I had a great mix of being in white culture and being in black culture. So I started uncomfortable conversations with a black man because your experience is your expertise. And my experience was truly knowing and knowing how to navigate both cultures. Now, to what you said, Illogical, which is my most recent Oprah book, which came out um, just a few weeks ago, that was written before Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, but I had to put the pen down because a detour in my life took over. Mm, a detour in your life? A detour in my life being Uncomfortable Conversations, right? Like, yeah. I always say Illogical was my destination. Uncomfortable wow. Conversations was a detour. Um, and sometimes in life, and I just said this today on social media, sometimes in life you have to go through detours because that detour is allowing your destination or your destiny to be prepared for your arrival while you are being prepared during the course of that detour. So two things are simultaneously happening. You are being more prepared in that season of the detour and your destination is being more prepared for your arrival. I love that because essentially you're saying had you come out with the logical before all of this happened or around that time, do you think it would have the reach and the impact that it can have since uncomfortable conversations blew up the way that it did? Not at all. Um, you know, not at all. I'll, I'm speaking at the University of Texas commencement 
Um, and speaking at that commencement, I will speak with so many practices and so many of the premises from illogical. Now, remember that commencement is 50,000 people, roughly five, six, 7,000 graduates. I don't have that opportunity if not for uncomfortable conversations with the black man. So uncomfortable conversations with a black man, it gave me a microphone, a megaphone, if you will. Um, to so many more listeners from the likes of McConaughey to Oprah to Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and, and all the likes, all races, creeds, denominations, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So around that time during that George Floyd, um, you know, the death of George Floyd and uh, all the uprise, I put out a video on Instagram and it was called Dear White Friends. And I was talking to the many white people that I'm in community with. So as a speaker, I'm very often the only black face on the flyer. Like I'm usually the black woman on the lineup. And at the time I was sharing a story about being in an elevator. I was going to the Dr. Oz show. I've been invited on Dr. Oz and I was super pumped. Um, this is some years ago. I was, uh, I think promoting like my second or third book and I'm in the elevator, I'm coming down the elevator. There's a couple young white folks that get on. I'm like, good morning, you know, cause I'm used to just saying good morning to everybody. Raised well in Lamert Park, the real LA. Um, and <laughs> I get, and then there's a couple an older white couple that gets on and I say, good morning. They don't say anything, but I had exchanged a little banter with the other folks earlier, you know, on the, on the higher floors. And we get down, it's time to get off the elevator and the older gentleman says ladies first and so his wife gets off and the other younger white woman on the elevator gets off and i go to get off and he blocks the me getting off with an umbrella and looks me in the eyes and says i said ladies first and i was shocked you ain't hit him no amen i was i was literally stunned like it it took a second for me to even register like what was happening. And the reason that I even shared the story was because the other guys that I had like, hey, you know, had small talk with, everyone just got off the elevator and no one said anything. Did and they see the interaction? Did they see it? Yeah. Hell yeah, they saw it. We're in a teeny tiny elevator, the Waldorf Astoria in New York. You know, New York elevators are tiny. You, you just skimmed by the fact that you was in a Waldorf. Oh, snap. I see. Yeah. They they heard, they saw, and they scurried off the elevator. And I just walked off slowly after everyone else. But that was a that was a moment for me because the school that I went to was very diverse. I grew up, I lived in the hood, but I grew up with everyone. And I was used to being liked by everybody. I, I mean, you know, just being able to connect and relate to anyone. And that was a big, putting that video out started a lot of conversation in my communities as well. You weren't nervous at all about uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Like, was there ever a thought where you were like, this could go horribly wrong? Um, definitely nervous. I did not eat the morning of, and what people don't realize, um, uncomfortable conversations with a black man. It's not uncomfortable monologue with a black man. So why in the world did I just tell y'all at the first episode, I was by myself answering four questions. Hint, I answered four questions that I too asked because I was supposed to do it with a dear white friend of mine. My dear white friend was supposed to come on, ask the questions I was supposed to answer. 
about an hour and four minutes before we were called into the studio, self-called into the studio. I reserved the space, so nobody actually called us. Um, my, my, my dear white friend had a change of heart. I can't do it. It's not right. They don't want to see me. Tears streaming down her face. And I was thinking to myself, Patrice, I was like, I don't have the luxury to have a change of heart because mm. I just watched George Floyd get murdered. So while I don't necessarily want to do it either, I don't have that luxury because someone might benefit from this conversation. Um, I was beyond nervous, could not eat, um, didn't know what I was doing. I genuinely rented a studio space. I called a wedding videographer because I didn't have any like real videographers. I just was like, hey, bro, I know you'd be shooting weddings. Can you come shoot this? Um, my best friend, an Olympic gold medalist, she stood in as my producer. Um, I stole, I'm, I'm telling on myself here, the first video, I stole music. I stole it, stole it offline. I don't know where I found it. I figured if it's online and I could access it, it's free. Um, anyway, it wasn't. Yeah, so you learned that I, the hard way. The hardest, sure. the hardest of ways. Because I steal music, I put it on YouTube. And if you've ever posted a video on YouTube with something that's copyrighted, you get that big red like slash X through it telling you like you're a thief. Uh, anyway, so I um, all that to say, I had no idea, Patrice, what I was doing. Nerves on overload. I vividly remember walking into the room to record Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, episode one, the show that would change literally my life. Mm -hmm. And I open the door with my right hand and in my left hand, my phone vibrates. I see it, it's a text from a black colleague of mine. And she said, hey, Emmanuel, I don't like this idea you're doing Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. White people didn't educate us on how to assimilate into their culture, so why do we need to help educate them? Mm -hmm. And I took my phone off the door after walking into the room and I simply responded and said, um, I understand what you're saying. I'll call you after, but I have to go the way God leads. So I was getting within an hour and 10 minutes of recording uncomfortable conversations. My dear white friend is crying and saying she can't do it. My dear black friend is telling me I shouldn't do it. Uh, and nonetheless, I went ahead and did it. And by the grace of God, um, lives were changed. Every other month, I attend a Super Friends brunch where we talk about everything from purpose to pursuing new dreams and even menopause. Yep, you heard me, menopause, because if you're over 40 and your girlfriends don't keep it real, I don't know what to tell you. But we have these important conversations because how can we redefine wealth if we're not keeping up with our hormonal health? Now, we discovered Happy Mammoth. It's the company that created Hormone Harmony and it's dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for us. They make no compromise when it comes to quality. Hormone Harmony contains herbal extracts called aptogens that help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally. And any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take Hormone Harmony. It's perfect for hot flashes, night sweats, menopause-related brain fog, sleeplessness, occasional bloating and gas. You get the picture. Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. And for a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com by using the code RW at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RW for 15% off. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, I love that. I love the go the way God leads. That is so true. And going the way God leads is usually so illogical. Yeah. Like it does not add up. It makes absolutely no sense. So many of the things that have really been a blessing to my career did not make sense in black and white. It was just like, this is what I feel led to do. So I totally, I totally resonate with that. Let me speak on that because one of my favorite quotes um your calling is your calling it's not a conference call Mm. and you know i just had to interject with that at the moment in which you just said it was something i was led to do the operative word there is i i feel like so often we don't move in the way in which we are led because other people aren't led but it's not about other people it's about us Mm -hmm. and so while my dear white friend had a change of heart and while my dear black friend was like yo you know what I don't like this idea. It wasn't your idea to like or dislike. Um, And it truly wasn't even my idea. It was something that wasn't parted onto my spirit, not to get too spiritual, but it wasn't even my idea. Yeah, it wasn't my idea to, to like or dislike. I was just, I was called. And when somebody calls, you gotta pick up. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. And you can get spiritual because that's what we do here. It's fine. Um, but you know, I'm a PK, so man, the first, oh, second, the first, second, and third service gonna come out of me if you if you let me get too spin. You know that third service long, <laughs> that third service long. So, oh my gosh. Okay, so let's get into illogical. Just why illogical? Why illogical? What a question, Patrice. What a question. You're a phenomenal <laughs> question asker. Um, why illogical? So. The greatest accomplishments in life come on the other side of our logic, period. The greatest accomplishments that anybody has ever accomplished from Steve Jobs with the Apple iPhone, uh, Wilbur and Orville Wright, they created aviation with the airplane. Roger Bannister, the first person to run a mile in under four minutes. Ruby Bridges, the six-year-old black girl who integrated school in Louisiana. The greatest accomplishments in our life come on the other side of our logic. So what does it mean to be illogical? To be illogical is to believe it is so, even when it's not so, so that it can be so. To believe it is so, even when it's not so, so that it can be so. And when you think about Steve Jobs, he believed that a phone could act as both a GPS plus a camera, even when it wasn't, and thus it became. When you think about Ruby Bridges, she believed that schools in Louisiana could be integrated even when they weren't, and thus they became. Wilbur and Orville Wright, they believed that a aircraft or a craft, rather, could take an individual from one continent to another, even when it didn't exist, and thus it became. So being illogical is truly just believing that something can be even before it has been so that it shall become that thing you believe it to be. And um, 
I just want everybody to be the best version of themselves. And the only way you can be the best version of yourself, the only way you can actually live the life in which you've been called to live is if you live it illogically. We heard the PK all through that. <laughs> I shouldn't have told you. I should have told you. We right heard. Now. We would have heard it anyway. We would have felt <laughs> it. Like, oh my gosh, that is so good. Believing that it is so, even when it's not so, so that it can be so. Amen. Man. Yes. So, why do you believe people have a hard time being illogical? Man, um, truth be told, uh, because we spend the majority of our life afraid of other people's fears. Patrice, I'm going to give you a word that I know you've never heard of because I had never heard of it. And hopefully nobody's ever heard of it because you have no reason to. Um, mortuous cuis phobia. You're mortuous cuis phobia. Mortuous cuis phobia, Patrice, is the fear of ketchup. Look it up. It's a real thing. The fear of ketchup. Patrice, I'm in sixth grade. I'm in Highland Park. It's adjacent to Dallas. It's a little subsect. I'm at a friend's house. I didn't live in Highland Park. We didn't have Highland Park money. Um, so I am in Highland Park and my friend is eating a burger. His older brother walks in. His older brother tosses something at the ta table. Ah! My friend screams, runs to a corner and just ducks in the fetal position. What the heck did his brother just toss at the table, you may ask? I look at the table. I see it's a ketchup packet. The heck? I cracked the, crack the packet open and start eating my fries. I looked up later that day and found out, oh, my friend is afraid of ketchup. Now, why in the world am I telling the story? Because so many of us operate as an individual who is afraid of other people's fears. Imagine if I would have in that moment ran from the ketchup packet too, because my friend did. Yet that's what we do in life. Right. Like we, we run from a, uh, a, a run from a relationship because our friends are afraid of commitment or rather we stay in a toxic relationship because our friends are afraid of being single. We don't want to leave the small city we grew up in because our families never left. We don't want to leave the nine to five and start that entrepreneurial job that's been put on our heart because all of our friends are comfortable working nine to fives. Why do we live so logically? because we're afraid of other people's fears, like not even our own fears. We're afraid of what they afraid of. I know y'all been in this situation, especially you in Atlanta. You go to Lenox Mall, you know what I'm saying? Y'all, they be shooting out there. And all of a sudden you see people running and everybody just starts running and you don't even know why you running. You just running. Um, that's what we do in life. It's just, why am I doing, wait, why am I still living here? Wait, why am I still in this relationship? Wait, why did I even go to this school? Or why did I not go to college? Why did I not pursue that degree? Or why am I just consistently pursuing degrees instead of starting this job that I know I was supposed to start five years ago? Wait, why haven't I picked up this hobby as a painter to turn it into a profession? And truth be told, it's because we just all kind of like cattle move with a herd mentality, um, not living the life we're called to live. I totally agree. I can see though, and I know that you're a Nigerian American, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm Belizean American and for, for many people who are whatever you are, so many of us too, though, connect making decisions rooted in what our parents wanted for us or why our parents came to this country or all of those things in honoring our parents, like honoring 
what what my mom wants or honoring what my father thinks is best for me. I know a lot of the women that I coach, it's connected to not just the fears of other people, the fears that they have, but feeling like it would be a dishonor not to go down that path. What do you say to those folks? And have you ever felt that? Oh my God, I feel it right now. Um, I am the, the son of Nigerian parents, born and raised in Nigeria. Both my parents are doctors. My dad has a PhD in psychology. My mom has her doctorate in nurse practitioning. Uh, my oldest sister is a nurse, a nurse practitioner. My second sister has her PhD. My brother has some other smart degree. He has like two or three degrees. So clearly as the youngest of those siblings, it's like education, education, education. You must be a doctor. You must be a lawyer. You must be an engineer, like all of these things. Um, and I ended up being an athlete and an author and a television personality. There is a lot of pressure that comes with that. But I also understand that you only have one life to live mm -hmm. um, and you have to live it to your fullest potential. I also understand that... Um, Truth be told, sometimes those closest to us don't even know what's up. Now, we don't have to go biblically, but we can. Uh, but like, we don't we don't have to go biblically, whether you want to go Old Testament, Sarah and Abraham. And it's like, wait a second. Are you sure I should have this child with the help? You're right. Or, or whether you want to like navigate however you want to navigate. Oftentimes, those closest to us don't even know what's best. Let me give it to you in story form. When I wanted to start Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, again, it is the book that's a New York Times bestseller and, and, and the thing that changed my life. Um, but my team, those closest to me who I confide in, Patrice, this is a true story. Uh, my team was like, Emmanuel, the market is too saturated for a book like that. I don't think you should write it. <laughs> the people who are literally on payroll to help support and advance the career of Emmanuel Acho told me not to do the thing that has been best for me over the course of my career. And in that moment, I realized that not everybody will always know what's best. Um, and, and, and that is why you just have to move in the way in which you're called and the way in which you're convicted. Your parents love you. I promise they do more often than not. Your friends love you. Your agents and publicists and neighbors and all those things, they love you. But just because they love you doesn't mean they know what's best for you. They want what's best for you. Yeah. But there is a difference between wanting what is best and knowing what is best. Yeah, absolutely. When I started podcasting, I had nothing. No fancy equipment, no cover art, no theme music. I just had this burning desire that I was supposed to use my purpose of helping people redefine wealth in the podcasting space. And so with some intentional planning, I launched what became the Redefining Wealth podcast in just three weeks. That was four years ago. And today the Redefining Wealth podcast has over 9 million downloads. We've interviewed everyone from celebrities to entertainers to authors and thought leaders. We've been featured everywhere from Success Magazine to Cosmopolitan and even Good Morning America. Now, why do I share all that? Because I'm not special. The truth is this started with leaning into my purpose and being willing to use my voice in a powerful way. And I bet that there's something that's calling you as well, something that you need to use your voice to amplify in the marketplace. So I wanna help you do that. If you're finally ready to use your voice and launch a podcast that aligns with your purpose, I wanna invite you to check out my intentional online training, Podcast with Purpose. 
You can find out more details at podcastwithpatrice.com. That's podcastwithpatrice.com. Your purpose deserves to be amplified, and I want to help you do that. Okay, so you have to to give us some wisdom here. Prior to uncomfortable conversations, you say that you were fired by the NFL five times by the age of 25. Now, logically, most people would have given up after maybe the first time or the second time. What pushed you to keep pursuing football? And then you have the audacity to go after being (laughs) a commentator post your NFL career. Like, most people would give up. How did you keep going? Man, um, so in the NFL, I was cut five times by the age of 25. That's the verbiage the NFL people use. All cut means is I was fired, y'all. Fired. Let go. You ain't good enough. You ain't got to go home, but you got to get the heck up out of here. Um, So early on, I just wanted to continue to play because I was still young and pursuing it. And we all have dreams of being the best at what we set our hearts out to do. But I quickly realized, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. Um, Sometimes in life, that door you think you're knocking on isn't a door, it's a wall. And it's time to move on. Um, And I realized those knocks, yeah, there was no door handle. It was just a wall. And ultimately, I had to move on from the National Football League. But the greatest thing I ever did when I made the decision to move on, Patrice, I got a text August 16th. And I I left the NFL in my mind in like June, July of 2016. I got a text August of 2016. And it said, hey, Emmanuel, this is so-and-so from the Buffalo Bills. Please send us your date of birth and social security so we can book you a flight, get you out here. I didn't respond. He texts me 30 minutes later. Hey, Emmanuel, just following up. Please send us your date of birth. I want to get you out here for a tryout. I didn't respond. That is the oldest text message in my phone to this day because I always wanted to remind myself I said no to the NFL. The NFL did not say no to me. And in this day and age of psychology and mental health and mental health struggles and crisis that we are all going through, I think oftentimes we have to remind ourselves of the power and autonomy that we have in this life. Um, And I chose power that day to make the decision, the illogical decision to at 25 years old, move on from the National Football League, even though so many would have kept trying to chop wood, I decided to move on to the complete unknown, had no idea what I was going to do next. Um, But I just trusted that it would work out. Okay, but we have to, how do we discern the difference? Because on one hand, you could say it's illogical to keep going, but then Mm -hmm. you can say it's illogical to say, I'm not going to allow you to keep playing with my emotions (laughs) and I'm going to bow out gracefully. How do we discern which one is the right, illogical route? That's a great question. Um, I said that I trusted that it'll work out. Mm -hmm. What I left off, was that I was going to work it out. So I said that I trust, I left the NFL and I just trusted that it'll work out. But what is implicit there was that at the end of the day, I was going to work it out. Now, that is the non-spiritual answer. The spiritual answer, God was going to work it out for me. Um, But I always try to, I don't love speaking Christianese just because I like to speak to all audiences at all times. Um, So I was going to work it out, meaning whether you are torn and you're at this crossroads and you don't know which way to go, just understand you can work it out. 
I left the NFL making a few hundred thousand dollars annually, and I go to work local news in Austin, Fox 7 Austin. It's good day, Austin. Monday mornings, welcome to Mondays with Manny. I'm cooking spaghetti on set and stuff, like all that stuff. Morning show in Austin. Then I'm doing a social media show, a show on Twitter for the Dallas Cowboys. On Twitter, y'all, for the Dallas Cowboys. And I was doing um, another regional show, uh, Longhorn Network. It's the University of Texas's essentially sports network. So I was piecemealing things. But Patrice, I just trusted that I could work it out. In the same manner, I think, for the individual that's like, okay, do I stay in this relationship? Do I leave this relationship? I know that I could marry this person, but I'm not sure if this is a person I'm supposed to marry. I think it's also just trusting that you can work it out and it will work out if you decide to leave or you have to work it out. But they always say the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of just making it work out regardless of where you are. Yeah, essentially we, we all have the power to choose. Like you just have to decide. Bingo. Now, the beauty for me is in taking the courageous decision. Mm -hmm. Like that, that to me is we all have the power to choose. I just choose courage. I just choose that. That's what I choose because everybody has the power. But Patrice, for me, it's about choosing courage. Mm, Yeah, because it would have been easy to just go to another tryout. The easiest. That's what everybody does. That's why it takes the average NFL player three years to realize they're retired. Three years to realize they're retired. It takes the average NFL player because they don't realize they're done. They're working out, working out, going to tryouts, going to tryouts. Then they look up two and a half years later and they're like, wait a second. I haven't played in a game in three years and I'm just going to these tryouts. I said, not me. Mm-mm. Because they, most NFL players do the safe and comfortable thing. We wake up every day. We eat the same meal. We go to work out the same time. We go back on home. We get on the game. It's like life. We're just all creatures of habit. But it's time we break the habits. Mm, that's so good. In the book, Illogical, you tell the story of the kid, a blackjack player who taught you that even when odds are stacked against and the cards don't seem to be in your favor, you can still own the moment. Can you can you share a little bit about that story? The kid. Um, so I played in Philadelphia. Again, I was not the star player, so I didn't have star player money. So I would go to casino and I would play table minimum. Table minimum in the casino, Sugar House in South Pennsylvania, uh, South Philadelphia. Uh, table minimum is like $25. But I played with my teammate who I just call him the kid. I'll tell you, Patrice, afterwards. Uh, I just call him the kid. And he was playing table max. Table max is like $6,000. This is a true story. We're playing one hand of blackjack and I am playing behind the kid, meaning whatever the kid plays, I will now play next. The kid played a two $6,000 hand for the mathematicians at home. That's roughly $12,000. Well, in blackjack, if you are given, um, you can do something what is called doubling down, meaning, K, I want one more card and I will put up twice my money. Just give me one more card. I am trusting that I can beat you dealer by just receiving one more card. The kid doubled down. So now mathematician, 6,000, 6,000, 6,000. The kid has $18,000 on the table. I have $25 on the table. 
I'm looking at the kid's hand versus the dealer's hand. And, and it's it slipped my mind now, but it, it, from what I recall, the kid had a losing hand, y'all. Like the dealer might've been showing uh, a, a, a nine, meaning the dealer is likely to have a 19. You have to assume the card under the dealer's original card is a 10. That is what they teach you in blackjack. The kid had a losing hand. I look at the kid and I'm like, hey, what you want me to do? Do you want me to hit, which is ask for another card? Or do you want me to stay, which is tell the dealer, hey, I am good on receiving any more cards and dealer, you will inevitably end up taking my next card. The kid looks at me, he winks and he says, the cards are the cards. I said, that's not an $18,000 decision. That sounds foolish. You are about to lose. Um, quick aside, I studied sports analytics while working on my master's. My final project for my sports analytics class had to be on something of sport. My teacher at the University of Texas at Austin went to Temple for undergrad. Temple is in Southern Philadelphia. I asked my teacher if I could do my final project on gambling. So I study gambling. I knew all of the odds of the kid winning and losing. And based on research, I knew he was statistically going to lose. He says the cards are the cards. Ask the dealer to flip. Dealer flips and the kid wins $18,000. We go to cash out. The kid cashes out $84,000. I cash out like 50. And the kid <laughs> looks at me. True story. And the kid looks at me and he says, Acho, you're too smart for your own good. And that is why I wanted to start this book of being illogical, because sometimes we're too smart for our own good. Sometimes we look at what the numbers are supposed to say, what the data is supposed to suggest, what the analytics and the historical research says about our lives, that you as a black man or as a black woman aren't supposed to amount to being a CEO, that you as a white man or a white woman who came from this middle of nowhere and your parents never left the city are never supposed to leave. We look at the research of our lives and we assume the worst for ourselves because sometimes we're too smart for our own good. The kid. That is such a good story. Yeah, it was wild. It was. What did you wild. do with your fifty dollars, man? To tip the valet. <laughs> I, basically, I was there for free, just stress and anxiety. <laughs> for real, and, and look, there's nothing worse than winning fifty dollars when you're with somebody who wins eighty-four thousand. Like there's, there's truly, there's, there's truly no, like he just won a down payment on a house <laughs> right? and, and I won a club soda. Thank you. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh my God. That is so true though. You know, when I, when I talk to clients, I talk about how we allow ourselves to just go in these spirals and these cycles of confusion, really because we're too smart for our own good. Mm. So we research and research and research, but then it paralyzes us from not just going the way God leads. Amen to that. Paralysis by analysis. Yeah. That's what they say. Paralysis by analysis. The story, my favorite one that um, attests to what you're saying and what I'm saying. Through 2,000 years, nobody in the history of the world had run a mile in under four minutes. Through 2,000 years. May 5th, 1952, it had yet to be done. Scientists suggested that it was physically impossible, Patrice, to run a mile in under four minutes. This is another true story. But there was one man, Roger Bannister, in Oxford, England, who believed the impossible. And by May 6, 1952, for the first time in the history of our world, he ran a mile in under four minutes. That is not the point of the story. The point of the story is this. Within the next two years, Patrice, 10 people ran a mile in under four minutes. So now the question is why? Why? Because they saw one person do it. 
And once they saw one person do the impossible, it was no longer impossible. They now realized it was very doable and very attainable. So now the question I have to ask myself and to everyone listening, watching, et cetera, who will, what's the impossible that you're supposed to go do and allow the whole world to do after you? For me, it was uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Like I sat in a room and I talked to a camera and had an uncomfortable conversation. And now on a daily basis, hundreds of people are messaging me and my team, Emmanuel, I'm having uncomfortable conversations at work, or I started having this dialogue at my middle school, or I'm having this in my communications class in college. What is the impossible that you are supposed to go do that will change the world around you? For me, it was just a conversation. For Roger Bannister, it was running a mile in under four minutes. What will it be for you? Because it is something. It's just whether or not you're going to do it. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And I love that it is not just about us. I love that it's what's the impossible you're going to go do, but also allow other people to do after you. Like that is powerful. That's the beauty because go ahead. I was just going to say you're full of gems. You're just full (laughs) of gems. I just think that the, the true mark of impact and significance is can you allow others around you to be great? And the beautiful part, and I have a, ch- a chapter in Illogical called When the Dam Breaks. And what's so interesting about a dam, as we all know it, the dams that, that, that are supposed to restrict water, is once a dam breaks, it's broken forever. The floodgates are open. And what we have to realize in our life is once we break these mental dams, they are forever broken. When Roger Bannister ran a mile in under four minutes, it's done. The dam is broken. Do y'all realize the world record for the mile is now three minutes, 43 seconds. It's been cut by 17 seconds. 1,800 people have run a mile in under four minutes because one man broke the dam. Mm. So it's like the beauty of our life is once you break the dam, it's done. And now the flood of blessings and the flood of creativity and the flood of social justice and the flood of reconciliation and the flood of intelligence and the flood of unity and peace and the flood of grace, it'll be everywhere. Somebody just has to break the dam. Why not you? I love it. I love it. Emmanuel, oh my gosh, I could actually listen to you all day. I I may need to go binge uh, more of these podcast episodes. You're just brilliant. Before I let you go, I want to ask you some Redefining Wealth rapid wisdom questions. You're going to tell us the first thing that comes to mind, okay? What if two things come to my mind at once? Tell me one. You ready? (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's the first one. How do you define success? Impact. Lovely. You don't even have to expound. Um, how do you define wealth in three words or less? Generationally blessing others. Very good. See, I was going to ask a follow-up question and that's not what this is for. Very (laughs) good. Okay. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Ooh, Radical by David Platt. Oh, I've never heard anyone say that. Okay, we'll have to talk. Y'all, know, that y'all know nothing about that. Y'all know nothing about that. Radical. Okay, give us give us one line about why. Radical David Platt, the author, if I'm not mistaken, he talks about how he realized what he needed to live off of annually, and anything he made over that, he gave away. And it just taught me that 
we don't even realize what excess is because the more money we have, the more stuff we buy and the more stuff we need and the more stuff. But no, you actually could have been content. So Radical by David Platt, it really redefined wealth to me. Nice. Thank you. All right. Fill in the blank. My name is and to me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Emmanuel Chinedu Acho, Chinedu Ivo, Nigerian, shout out. Um, my name is Emmanuel and the truth about, well, see, now I lost the question. Go ahead. Go again, please. Because <laughs> you were fooling around with your full name. I know. I All right. I'm You're going to fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. Ooh, my name is Emmanuel and the truth about wealth is. It doesn't necessarily make you happy. I assume you're referring to financial wealth, like monetary. Exclusively. But truth be told, anything outside of emotional, spiritual, it, it doesn't really make you happy. Basically, you guys, he's talking about the other pillars of redefining wealth. It, it always comes back to that. That is awesome. Emmanuel, you were delightful. Your big ball of energy. I appreciate how you poured uh, into this community. How can the Purpose Chasers follow you and find you out there? Well, they can find me in actual cities like Dallas, not to be confused with Richardson. That's not a city. Or the Hollywood Hills, not to be confused with L.A. Heights. That, too, is not truly L.A. Um, but if they wanted to find me online at Emmanuel Acho. Yeah, just my first and last name. Two M's. And um, that's all. And that's all you guys. I hope you took away some amazing nuggets. I think this is one of those conversations you guys might want to replay and, and pick up everything that Emmanuel is putting down. First of all, my big takeaway is go the way God leads. That is just that just really resonates for me. Um, and that that one line, you got to give it to me one more time, believing that it is so even when it's not so so that it can be so so that it can be so yes as you continue to chase purpose out there i pray that this episode this conversation is truly a blessing make sure you pick up copies of emmanuel's books uncomfortable conversations with a black man as well as his latest book illogical saying yes to a life without limits you can follow me in social media at seek wisdom pcw and until next time I just want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever feeling like you have to chase money. I'll talk to you later. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. 
Do more with Viator. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 